Family Secrets is sponsored by Audible. One of my favorite things to do is listen to an Audible book. It is such a great way to relax and pass the time as you're being transported from one place to another. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment in every genre imaginable. You can listen with the Audible app anytime, anywhere. Get your first three listens free with a 30-day trial. That's one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash Danny to get started. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, Family Secrets listeners. It's Danny. So I've been thinking, as we've been moving through the many powerful conversations I've had with my guests during this third season of the podcast, the world, as we know it, has been profoundly changed. I mean, the whole world, as we know it, for every single one of us. We're sequestered in our homes, either with other people or alone, and our lives, our plans, have ground to a halt. We're left with our fears and anxieties about the future and grief for what's happening all around us. I want to talk about this, about how we move through this period of time with as much humanity and caring for ourselves and others as possible. And so I invited a guest on for a special bonus episode you're about to hear. Stephanie Whittleswax is an actress, activist, author, wife, mom of two little kids, and she just happens to host one of my favorite podcasts called Last Day. Her book, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragic comic memoir of genius, heroine, love, and loss, along with her podcast, were born of tragedy. In 2015, her brother, beloved comedian and actor Harris Whittles, died of a heroin overdose. Everything in Steph's life changed as a result of that terrible loss, and she has done the hard, beautiful, soul-bearing work of making meaning and art out of pain. Since we're all, it's safe to say, in some pain right now, I thought a conversation with Steph about her story and navigating this time we find ourselves in would be a really good thing. I know it was for me. I hope it is for you, too. In one of the episodes, one of your later episodes, you, um, one of my favorites, actually, you have this very powerful conversation with um, Dr. Gabor Mate. And uh, Dr. Mate, who is a world expert on trauma, talks about trauma in a way that is incredibly revealing and um, and powerful um, in the sense that we all, all humans, uh, experience trauma. Um, and it's kind of a hallmark of trauma to think that we don't or to compare um, the whole sort of idea of, well, this isn't really, I mean, there's always someone who has more trauma. In that kind of thinking, what we do is we disavow our own experience. Um, and um, Dr. Mate actually says at one point, it's funny, I was writing it down at a moment where in the episode you said, stop and write this down. <laughs> and I was literally already, I was like, Steph, I'm writing it down. And I love that. And the line is, trauma, trauma isn't, isn't what happens to us, it's what happens inside us. Yes, exactly. And <laughs> And so here we are in this moment where the entire world is experiencing trauma all together. 
We're all experiencing it. And it's unprecedented in our lifetimes. Um, we have no muscle memory for it. And like, here we are, you're in your closet. I'm in my son's old playroom. Our whole worlds are very much divided into before and after this experience that we're having and are underscored by the fact that we don't know what the other side of this experience is going to be. We're all in grief. And we're in grief for our former lives, for the world, and for what's happening to other people all around us, um, and the stories that are relentlessly coming at us. So the comfort, I think, or the solace is in connecting. And we can't connect physically, but we can connect in terms of these really powerful conversations about um, the real stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess where I'd really love to begin with you is to talk a bit about your story. Where to start? I had a really terrible, uh, traumatic couple of years. My, um, I met my, my husband, who's incredible, amazing, love him. He's downstairs taking care of my kids. Um, his as well, our mutual children. And um, met him, it's 2013, or I met him like earlier, but 2013, we were going to get married. And like three days before my wedding, my brother called and told me that he was addicted to OxyContin and that he was spending $4,000 a month on pills. And I mean, when I look at this like narratively, that's the moment where everything kind of like got really wobbly and I was set on this journey that I never uh, chose and that I would never have chosen. And that, um, I don't know, it's weird when you look back and you can identify a moment of change, of profound change. And there have been a few of those since. Um, so that kind of like set us off on this like addiction roller coaster that I truly do not wish on uh, anyone. Um, it's very trite to say my worst enemy, but I, I don't. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Uh, there is no right way to do it. Um, there is only a way that works for the individual. And it's really hard when you're in that space to find good advice and to find sound kind of like textbook, this is what you do. Like you have this type of cancer. This is what you do. There's nothing like that. And um, the people who are supposed to be experts, you end up having to pay a ton of money to go to their facilities. And so there's sort of a, a are you really doing what's best for the person or are you incentivizing relapse instead of recovery? And so obviously when you're in the moment, you're just desperate to help your person. And my brother was in and out of rehab and we did what we thought was best. He kept going to these 30-day programs. I now know that that is the worst possible thing you could do. I didn't know it at the time. And in in 2014, I, I had a baby. So I had my, my first child, Iris, and um, 24 hours after she was born, she had a hearing loss. And there was no genetic uh, reasoning for it. It was like, yeah, we don't know. One in a thousand babies, you know, she's she's the one. So it set us on this course of like testing. And I remember the day where I had to sign the thing like, you're going to put your two month old through an MRI and they might come out brain dead. And is that OK? Initial here. And I just was thinking like, no, no, none of this is OK. And my brother went to rehab that first time in that time period. So within like a month, I had a new baby. 
I found out she had a permanent disability and my brother went to this 30 day program and and then like a lot of other trivial things. It's not super trivial. My house had a mold infestation. We had to move out. I mean, it was like <laughs> like a garbage time. It's funny the way that something like a mold infestation, which would have been like Number the one. worst thing in somebody else's year, turns into nothing more than a nuisance when set against the backdrop of of all that. You know, I've thought a lot about this, that, you know, the things that happen, there's no sort of like even-handed meeting out of difficult things, right? Like some people just don't have any for a really long time, and then other others of us have like multiple. It, it's one of my least favorite expressions uh, on earth is, um, you know, God doesn't give us more than we can handle. <laughs> you know, does Along he not? With, does he not? <laughs> does he not really? <laughs> I think he does. <laughs> I think so too. Also, when when you were talking about. Um, when your brother first let you know right before your wedding that he uh, was addicted mm -hmm. um, to Oxy, um, he asked you not to tell your parents. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in, like in Family Secrets, the, 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 the tagline is um, the secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. And it's like you were suddenly thrust into this like sort of impossible situation of, of keeping his secret. Yeah, and it's interesting because I I got pregnant like very soon after we got married. Um and so I was pregnant and carrying the secret. I felt like I was like mm. full of both of these things and they were like at war <laughs> in my body. I mean, I I'm not one of these women that is able to have like very effortless pregnancies. Like I I suffer in my pregnancies. It's hard on my body. And so I was um, just really not feeling well. And then I felt like my, my soul was like darkening every day with this thing and this responsibility that if I didn't tell my parents or anyone else and he died, I'd have to live with that. But then I didn't want to betray his trust because I also thought that was an important part of all of this. So it was really an impossible situation. And just like the, the pregnancy hormones as well, um, I felt like I was thrust into another galaxy of, of, mm -hmm. of stress. I mean, I was just like, um, it was eating me alive. We talked about the, the mate conversation I had on my show. Like, I started that conversation saying, we had a perfect childhood. Like, we're a super happy family. So your thesis that mm -hmm. everyone who's addicted is a result of trauma is wrong, you know? <laughs> that was like, I was like, so what do you have to say to that, mate? And uh <laughs> And he was like, actually, let me tell you how you're wrong, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he was like, he's like, do you have a couple of minutes? <laughs> yeah. He's like, are you ready for a therapy session about you? Because I'm ready to give it to you. And, um, you know, all of that is true. Like, there's a lot of layers and complexity in every family. But I would say, like, on a sort of, like, base level, we are people who like each other. Um, we are people who get along. We are a close family. And at some point, you know, my mom was like, what is happening with you? You know, like, tell me what mm. is going on. And, um, you know, it kind of came out. I was at the very end of my first trimester. So I was coming out of that version of hell. <laughs> and um, anyone who's been pregnant before understands what I mean. And, and my parents, you know, they were just joining the party, so, so to speak. And so 
my dad's a doctor. He was like family medicine, internal medicine. And, you know, he was they were sort of like, yeah, OK, well, we'll we're going to L.A. in a couple of weeks and we'll we'll solve it. You know, we'll mm-hmm. we'll take care of it. And mm-hmm. um, looking back on that, you just see how powerless and naive we all were at that at that time um, to think that we had any control over over this thing. Right. Well, there's this like basic human impulse, isn't there, to just um, think that we can think that we can solve things or that we can trace them back to their origins, um, that there's, um, you know, that there are steps to follow uh, in some kind of orderly way that'll fix whatever, whatever, whatever ails us or whatever ails those that we love or, you know, that there's, that there's some kind of like tangible solution. And then there's certain things in life that are just so impossibly messy um, and impossible to, um, you know, to grasp. Um, and, And I think addiction is like definitely falls into that category. So that exact what you just said exactly that 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 messiness that that there are things that you just cannot possibly contain. Um, they do not fit inside of any of the boxes that you understand. Uh, you have no roadmap. I have this recurring image, like the last five years, six years of like utter chaos. It feels I. I I always have this image of trying to push back the ocean, like trying to Mm. make it move (laughs) or like taking like a sand toy, you know, like a shovel and trying to like make it go away. And and it's just such a futile task. And so Mm. all of these things just like kept happening that made me realize I have absolutely no control over anything, you know, that like I am sort of like at the mercy of 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 everything and you know my brother having this this addiction on top of this thing we were dealing with my daughter and we've covered this on the show a lot but every time you you get sober and then you go back to it it's like the addiction has time to like do jumping jacks and push-ups and to get stronger and stronger and so every time he would go back to it it would get stronger and you know oxy moved to heroin and um it just became something that was really unmanageable in in a bunch of ways. And so um, as I was kind of coming to grips with the acceptance phase of um, this is the way that that my daughter is like, you know, when you you have a baby, you have all these expectations for how it's going to be. Right. And Mm -hmm. this certainly was not my expectation. And so I had I experienced um, the way that it was as a as a type of grief. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of like coming to acceptance about the fact that, in fact, her hearing loss has been an incredible gift to her. I mean, she's like, you know, I mean, the kid is a miracle of miracles. I mean, she's just like she she never stops talking. Her vocabulary is sharper than mine. Like she's six, you know, and she's mm-hmm. like this. She's definitely going to be a writer, a storyteller. Um, you know, a natural impact. I mean, she has all these amazing things that I I swear are a result of her having to listen a little harder and mm-hmm. having to really look at people when they talk and having to tune in in a way that most little kids don't have to. And I think mm-hmm. it has like really sharpened her little brain in a way that is just incredible. Um, but of course, when when you first are thrust on onto this new horizon and 
and I'm just looking at this little baby who can't tell me that it's going to be okay. I just am mm-hmm. like worst case everything, you know. And so I was coming to terms with all of this and seeing that she was like this true divine miracle, all of this great stuff. And we were literally at the place where we go to get her speech therapy and audiology and the phone rang and it was a detective telling me that my brother was dead, you know. And mm. um, she was like 13 months at that point. And uh, and then it's like on to the next nightmare, you know, it's like, OK, here we go now in, into this place and that and that place, like once my brother died, it became. Um, I just was annihilated. There just was no, like there was nothing left. I felt completely gutted. I felt completely like a bomb had dropped on my entire everything and I was nothing, I was nothing anymore. Like who I was, Mm -hmm. was done like this before and after idea that it was like before my Mm -hmm. brother died and after, um, is rings very, very true. I, I I didn't like experience human feelings in the way, like it's so hard to talk about that kind of profound grief, but like you are so, um, like dead inside, I guess is how I would describe it. I, I didn't want to eat or laugh or talk or see people or communicate or be a person. I didn't want to do anything but like lay in silence in the dark, you know, for a really long mm-hmm. time. It was just awful. And to have that kind of crippling pain while you have like a one-year-old was also a really difficult experience. And as I'm like processing that, I started to to write about it um, because I like truly could not use words um, with my mouth. So I um, just started writing them down and it was really messy. Talk a little bit about that impulse because that's something that um, many people think about writing, um, you know, from a profoundly difficult traumatic experience as um, like therapeutic or um, cathartic. Oh, that's a word that comes up a lot. People say it must have been cathartic to, um, you know, to sort of like get that out. Like what what was the, what what drew your pen to paper or your fingers to the keyboard? It's so hard to articulate because again, I was like not a person at that point. <laughs> like I didn't mm-hmm. have human like impulses. It was just like such a mess. You know, I felt like a pile of mush. And mm-hmm. I remember it was this fascinating thing where like my daughter would only nap in the car. And so I was like stuck in the car with her for hours because you don't wake a sleeping baby. And I couldn't be on social media because it was really painful um, to see people being happy. <laughs> it's like mm-hmm. really hard. And so I like couldn't just sit there like I'm a doer. I need to occupy my time with something. I, I just like didn't know what to do. And so I just had this impulse to start like pouring all the stuff out of my brain onto my iPhone notes app. And that's where I started just pecking like finger pecking away at what I was feeling. And mm-hmm. um, it felt like exercising demons or something. It was just like, I, I, I have so much pain in my body right now and it's going to kill me and I have to get it out of my body. But that was the, that's the only way I could describe it. It was like a compulsion. And, and I had like this massive document that I had been like just texting essentially, you know? And my husband was like, why don't you put this 
into an essay. You know, why don't you like put this on your computer from your phone and, and, you know, put it on this medium website basically. And Uh I had written something when my daughter was around five or six months old. It was the same feeling of like, I feel really helpless and I need to like describe the feeling because I can't, Uh like I want to explain to people who I know and love, like this is what I'm going through, but I can't, I don't want to see anyone and I don't want to talk. And so it felt easier to just kind of like write it out. And I had done that and my husband had given me this like medium account and I had put that essay up and I remember feeling like really kind of like, um, relieved once I had shared it. And he said, why don't you try it again? You know? And I felt like at that point I had literally nothing to lose. Cause I, again, wasn't human anymore. And so I was like, sure, fine. And once I put that essay up, that was just so raw and so unfiltered and just, um, pouring my guts out, uh, people started responding to it and mm-hmm. like, it was crazy what happened. And, um, it just sort of suggested to me that no one really has an idea of how to navigate this or how to talk about it or is given a space to talk about it. I mean, people were strangers. I'm sure this happens to you all the time, too, <laughs> is that strangers were emailing me like this, just the most personal, profoundly private stuff mm-hmm. that I, mm-hmm. I, I mean, that they'd never told anybody and felt mm-hmm. like you'll understand what I'm feeling. And that was just like, I did not expect that at all. Yeah, it's so interesting the way that, like what you're describing really, I mean, the way that I'm hearing it is you were, you know, you were writing yourself like back into a human state yes. in some way. Yes. And and the the only way to do that is by, you know, I mean, we overuse the word, you know, authenticity and vulnerability. We overuse those words for sure in our culture. But I think that there's, when we tap into something that is just completely real, um, like utterly, um, like unvarnished, un, you know, we, we, we live in a world that's so full of like polish and filters and everybody sort of putting their best face forward. And of course, you know, that's just, that's just veneer. And when 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 somebody actually cuts through all that and speaks the truth, um, in in all of its, you know, I mean, I I want to say ugliness mm-hmm. because, but it's not ugliness. It's actually beautiful because ultimately that like ugliness or the, that that rawness is what we all share and and what it is to be human. I mean, I was I was reading some of your work um, in in thinking about talking to you, and I don't know whether this is the piece that you were talking about, but I wrote this down. I just want to read this to you. This was uh, something you wrote on the two-year um, anniversary of um, your brother's death. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the quote that I, that I wrote down is, the best part about having your heart ripped out of your body and put back in disfigured is that you give significantly less fucks about pretty much everything you did when your heart was intact, when everything was fine and you didn't even know it. <laughs> And again, I want to repeat that when everything was fine and you didn't even know it, because I think listeners listening to this right now in this age of COVID-19, it's like everything was fine and we just didn't know it. Like we used purses and we put on (laughs) shoes and we gathered, we, you know, we went to parties, we hugged each other. We, you know, we, 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 we sneezed and nobody freaked (laughs) out. Um, And, 
And then, and the, the last part that I that I wrote down here was, you, you don't have the bandwidth to care about anything that doesn't really matter anymore. It's strangely refreshing. Mm. And I thought about that, and I thought about the way that, you know, like with your daughter's hearing loss and the gift that's inherent in um, the, you know, the meaning that she's going to make out of that in her life. And, well, yeah, I mean, that's the... That's a beautiful way to put all of that. Yeah. It's um that's why it it does feel like with this moment I was joking the other day to somebody I was like, "Hey, yeah, like this is where I live, guys. Welcome to my house. I I live in a state of complete <laughs> mess and chaos and and grief and, you know, and now everyone's here and uh how does it feel? You know, like it's this like this collective thing that we're going through now. I think grief is so lonely and it's so solitary and everyone experiences it so differently. Um, But one of the, I think, most sort of like characteristic um, or one of the most universal characteristics of grief is that you feel very alone in it, that you feel totally isolated and that you're on an island. And I think it's really interesting right now what's happening is that like we're all on our own little islands, but we're experiencing the same kind of a thing. And the other thing that I know about it is that once you, like I said, you have your heart ripped out of your body or your life is destroyed and what what was is no longer, you have to rebuild. And so there is this really I mean, I am very cynical as a, as a human being, and I, I, I don't want to sound trite, but there is something about destruction leads to rebirth kind of a thing that I think globally we are going to experience now. Like, I had this very personal pain, and I channeled it into this thing with writing, and then that's turned into, like, writing a book and doing a podcast and all this stuff that then when I talked to Dr. Mate told me that actually – is my addiction and we can get into that. But basically like, you know, like I ended up reinventing myself um, out of a place of like true tragedy. It was like, yeah, I don't give a fuck about anything in the way that I used to. I am no longer who I was. My entire identity has shifted. And now I have to figure out who the fuck am I now that I am no longer that person, you know? And it's like if your house is destroyed and and you have to rebuild it, the second the second house you're going to go, well, you know what? I didn't actually like where the stairs were. I don't think it made a ton of sense. Like this house, I'm going to make the stairs go over there. I'm going to be really intentional about it. And I think that that what ended up happening in my case is that there were a lot of things that like weren't actually working for me that I had to like put the pieces back together in a way that felt more authentic to who I was as a human being. Uh, And it's turned into (laughs) this company and, um, I ended up connecting with this other woman who had experienced a similar kind of a pain and, you know, like basically reached out and was like, hey, I have your pain. Mm-hmm. Do you want to collaborate? Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, actually don't. <laughs> yeah. My my initial reaction was like, no, that actually sounds terrible. I'm, I'm actually done with my pain. I just had a baby, my second baby. So I'm going to just do that. And um, it was really nice to meet you. And uh, we'll keep in touch, mm-hmm. you know. And um that just didn't that didn't work. I I had my baby uh because the world is the way that it is. He is also uh he has a, a profound deafness in one of his ears, normal hearing in the other. Um totally different hearing loss than my daughter, <laughs> you know. Like my pediatrician I think was like, 
yeah, yeah. Lightning did struck, strike twice, mm-hmm. you know, like that's my explanation for you. And um, and so I was sort of like going through that kind of, you know, place again of like, oh, I thought it was going to be this way and it's not. And all the things that I learned about my daughter actually don't apply to my son because it's two different things. And um, in the midst of that, I I read this article that opioids are killing more people than car accidents and literally like picked up my phone, emailed Jess and was like, okay, mm. let's, let's do this because I don't honestly feel like I have a choice. Like mm-hmm. I don't want to make my entire life about heroin. Mm-hmm. Like that sucks. And that is not who I am. I, I, I'm funny and I, <laughs> I like to have fun and I, I don't want to be a bummer, you know? But, like, this is my experience, and I don't know, as an artist, like, I've always been an artist, and I don't know how to, like, translate the world in any other way mm-hmm. than creatively. And so this is what I've got right now. I have a very special brother who is now dead because of this thing, and I know a lot of people are in that same boat. And, like, I'm also, like, an activist, so it's like, okay, well, how can we make this better? Because, like, what we're doing right now ain't working. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of this like fuel of um, like for me, like pain, there's a lot of fuel around pain. I think a lot of artists probably feel that way. Like um, tragedy leads to like a lot of stuff, you know, it's like I, I, I can take that and process it in a way that I think, I don't know, like, I, I guess just creatively, basically. And so I think it was like this thing where I was like, all right, well, let's let's just do it. And and so we made that show and then now we're on our fifth show and we have a sixth show in the works and then we're going to be doing a seventh show. And so it's like it's just been this and our whole tagline of our company is humanity unfiltered. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. Family Secrets is brought to you by Audible. I hope you're loving my conversation with Stephanie Whittles Wax. How are you all listening to podcasts these days? It's not like we're commuting to work or anything. Actually, Steph was in her closet literally her closet in her house, during our conversation. And I was in my son's old abandoned playroom, which is freezing cold, I might add. Nothing is normal. And yet, the sound of other voices floating through our heads can be of such incredible comfort and solace. Steph's memoir, Everything is Horrible and Wonderful, a tragicomic memoir of genius, heroine, love, and loss, is available on Audible, And I highly recommend you download it just as soon as you finish listening to the rest of our conversation and rating it five stars. Please, these stars help and they make us feel great. Seriously, download Steph's wonderful audiobook on Audible. She narrates it herself. And as you know by now, she has a great voice and a great laugh. No matter what, we still need to laugh and cry. And it's a rare writer who can make us do both within a single sentence. Get your first three listens free with a 30-day trial. That's one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Just visit audible.com slash Danny to get started. I think, you know, we, we, we live or we have certainly been living in a culture, in a society where um, we love our definitions. You know, we love our baskets of like, oh, you know, you're this kind of person or you do this thing or you're, you know, you you can't possibly both have tragedy and be a funny person or, um, <laughs> you know, and, and, and like, how about instead of, you know, or, you know, sort of switching the conversation to and, you know, like mm-hmm. this is, I mean, 
last day is there's, you know, in just about every episode at some point, you laugh, you know, <laughs> and, you know, there's, it's, it's, it's very heavy stuff, obviously, but there's also, I think just, you know, all of these different shades and colors to every experience. And, um, you know, the whole idea of, um, you know, I mean, I think in my own life, just about everything of import that's ever happened, um, uh, or anything that, that has sort of shaped my life, like ultimately in a really, um, positive way has been like kind of a happy accident. Who knows which comes first? Um, I mean, you know, I lost my father when I was 23 in a car accident and like that shaped my life from that moment forward. I would not be sitting here talking to you. I wouldn't be living in this house. We, I wouldn't be in my basement, you know, making a podcast. I wouldn't have written 10 books. I wouldn't be married to the man I am married to. I wouldn't have the child that I do if that tragedy hadn't happened. My, my life would have just spun in a different direction. And we're like, we're chiseled and we're shaped by everything um, that happens to us. And um, and I, I just feel that so strongly. It's just a sense of like, what do we, what do we make of it? And so, you know, now that we're in this collective place, all of us, you know, so for those of us who have had, you know, really hard, difficult things happen, um, it sort of feels like, I look at some of my friends who have had I don't know, let's just say an easier time of it. Nobody has an easy time of it. It's hard to be human, but let's just say an easier time. And I, and it's like they almost don't have the muscles for what's happening in the world right now. Like mm -hmm. it's, um, it's like, wait a minute, this isn't fair, you know, or, you know, <laughs> this is, this has really disrupted my plans. It's like, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> that's what, you know, life comes along and disrupts your plans, you know, mm -hmm. and, I guess I'm wondering, like, what, I just want to leave people today with just a feeling of, like, what's, what's helping right now? Like, what, what are the things that, you know, we're, we're probably in this for a while, you know, in our, in our homes, you know, in our communities, um, with this sort of relentless stream of news, um, with the great unknown, I would say, of, mm -hmm. you know, what is the world going to look like when we pick up our handbags and put our shoes back on and venture out into the world like um uh the 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 feral creatures that we've become <laughs> like like i think one of the hardest things for many many of us me included is is that level of unknown you know what what are things going to what are things going to look like and be like and feel like and since we can't know that how do we uh you know how do we how do we move through our days um and um you know, there's there's a lot of pressure, I think, too. On Twitter, there are a lot of people in, you know, my world, the literary world, you know, saying things like, well, you know, Shakespeare wrote King Lear during a quarantine. <laughs> no pressure mm -hmm. or anything. Or, mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to learn how to bake the per perfect challah or I'm going to, like, you know, learn Italian. Um, and yep. I think that puts an awful lot of pressure on people to feel like we have to do something with this time that's external, you know, that's sort of results-driven. Do you have any thoughts about that? I mean, that's that's certainly how I'm wired. And I think a lot of people are wired that way, that we need to do something with our time. We can't just be where we are. Uh, I mean, this was the whole conversation I had with with Dr. Mate. You know, I I I 
I work. I work, 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 work. Mm -hmm. I work my way out of every painful feeling that I have, you know? So it's like on one level, I had this idea that like pouring my heart out was how I was becoming human again. But I think he would shape it a little bit differently in terms of like addictions, whatever they are, you know, whether they be socially acceptable or not socially acceptable are things that we do to feel better in some capacity, right? So to calm yourself, to find inner peace, to uh, feel happy, to feel normal, quote unquote. Um, we all do our little things that that fill us up. You know, you don't do an addiction because it feels bad. You do it because it feels good. Mm -hmm. Right. And that was a really interesting shift that I made with him in that conversation. Um, and so I think right now when people are so desperate, like, as a person who who works my way out of things, I have that sensation like, well, I should be writing King Lear, you know, mm -hmm. I should. Me too. You know, yeah. and I I mean, totally like yeah. it's it's a it's a really um, and it's and again, it's socially acceptable to do that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, then, but King Lear is good. People produce it mm -hmm. <laughs> like that. Why would that be a bad thing? And it was like, you know, I wrote a book in nine months because I was grief stricken. You know, here's my book, you know, and it's like, yes, that is good in a way. But what are you not addressing by filling that up with writing a book? You know, and I think that that that's an interesting thing. Like, I think um, leaning into the fact that, like, it does feel uncomfortable to live in the unknown, like, but also accepting that that is just where we all live. I think that's the other thing that's happening is that. Actually, every single moment of our lives, we are living in the unknown. Mm -hmm. We just are able to like schedule ourselves like crazy people and fill our days up with things and put all these tasks on the calendar. But ultimately, like you could walk outside and get hit by a bus. You know, you don't you don't you don't know what's going to happen. I mean, you just said this thing about your father, like your father did not expect to get up that day and for that to be his last day. You exactly. know, I, I, that's I mean, that's what I think about with the show. It's like. The whole last day concept is like exploring that moment where you woke up that morning and you were a person on the earth. And then later that day, you were not. And like what led to that, you know, and we are all so vulnerable to that, but we don't acknowledge it because it's too hard. It's too scary to acknowledge it. Well, there's there's right. It's like there's this fine line right between if you if you lived with that at the at the front of your foreknowledge about everything, you'd never get out of bed in the morning. You know, you, you, exactly. you can't, we, we can't, we, you, you wouldn't have children. Uh, you wouldn't, right. you wouldn't make anything because what's the point? You know, we never know. Right. right? You know, right. and, and also the, the sheer paralysis of like, you know, I think of that sometimes as like standing on a street corner. It's like, wait a minute, if I turn left, you know, this might happen. But if I turn right, mm -hmm. then that might happen. Um, mm -hmm. Oh my God, I don't know what to do because I know what's going to happen depending on which direction yep. I walk in. And so there would be this incredible paralysis that sets in. And we use busyness, right? And and like uh, me too. I mean, I uh, literally on this day that you and I are speaking, today is a whatever day of the week it is no longer matters. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? It's a whatever day of the week it is. <laughs> I was like, I was supposed to be in Italy directing a writer's conference. And the week before that, I was supposed to be in Paris on my French book tour. And the week before mm. that, literally, I was supposed to be in Colorado and uh, somewhere else, somewhere in Texas. Um, and like all of a sudden, 
everything, San Antonio, everything started being canceled, 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 canceled. Mm. And I would white out in my old-fashioned Filofax, which I actually use. I just can't bring myself to use an eye calendar. And I would actually like white it out because I can't stand looking at things scribbled out. It's just way too messy for my like, yeah. you know, sort of, you know, <laughs> right. compulsive, right. you know, sort of, you know, n- neat neck brain. How you, like, how you ex- exercise control, control over the world. Everything needs yes. to be. So, so suddenly I had all these yes. like blank white pages and yeah. we all do. It's like, it's mm-hmm. no matter how busy we can be in our lives, even you and I are still both people who are able to do what we do work-wise, you know, f- from our closets and our basements. Yes. Um, right. And, you know, many people are, um, you know, sort of not able to do that and are struggling in different ways. But it's still impossible to maintain the pace because it's been taken away from us. I agree. I actually, it's funny because like with Last Day, we we explore, this first season we're exploring addiction. And so we've had to really dive deep into this idea of one day at a time, you know, like this mm-hmm. this recovery mantra of like, how do you live in recovery, you know, and I go through this whole thing in the podcast, like my mom had this needle pointed thing that used to hang over my brother's head when we were growing up at the dinner table. And it was like the serenity prayer. Hmm. And I looked at that thing every single day of my life as a child and as a teenager. And I never really understood what it meant until, you know, like my daughter was born and my brother went through this and then he died and, and, and like having to sort of like keep going. And when your world is sort of like thrust upside down, I think like the only thing that you can do is to accept like, hey, you know, this is what they tell you, right? In recovery, like I am powerless and um, I have to surrender to that. And the only thing I can do is to look right in front of me and to live one day at a time, you Mm -hmm. know? And we, we had this guest towards the end of the season. He was like, if I, it's like if you're driving a car and you look too far ahead, you know, you'll crash. If you look too far behind, you'll crash. You have to kind of be right where you are on the road. Mm-hmm. And I think that is truly our only option right now. It's just that when you are living one day at a time, it is so um, unfamiliar to so many of us because we we do cling to those like future trips and future plans and what's going on tomorrow and what's happening on our phones. and And I think like, it's a challenge, but I also think it might be the reset that many of us need in this in this moment. Like I feel and it's so slippery because then you like start to get into these like really annoying cliches about like, yeah, but we're just like living in the moment. We're like with our families and that's so special. And I don't <laughs> want to do that because mm-hmm. like a lot of this does truly suck. Like I found out yesterday my kids are off until like May 10th now. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what what am I supposed mm-hmm. like they're six and two? Mm-hmm. How do I I, I'm mm. like dying here, mm-hmm. you know, but like I will tell you, my daughter and I yesterday went and did this whole like scavenger hunt outside and like we walked around together and we found all these objects and then we came home and we set up like our blanket in the backyard and we all worked from outside and I mean, we are together mm-hmm. like that is something that I I I never would have expected. And I'm spending more actual quality time with these people mm-hmm. that I love more than anyone that we say. We say that they matter more than anyone. And I remember when my brother died, I was like, I would give anything. I would give my left leg if I could just see him. If I could like see his little like crooked smile for one second. Like if he could be in front of me, like that's all I want. Mm-hmm. 
And like here we have these people that we say we feel that way about. But when we're in life, we're like tuning them out because we have all this other shit going on. And so I don't know. Like, you know what I'm saying? I do. Like, it, it, no, I really do. And I think, look, my son is 20 and uh, you know, he's a sophomore in college. And, um, you know, we don't we don't spend, you know, that kind of I mean, the kind of time like he's he's now like. You know, he's here. He's like he's 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 living under my roof. He, we're we're together all the time. We're watching movies together every night. We're cooking dinner, and and I and believe me, it's also like super challenging. I have this like you know big hairy man in my house all the time now. Yeah, but <laughs> just wait. But there's you know I, I turned to him the other day and I said we are never going to have this kind of time together ever again in our lives. Like That's true and. And I do think, you know, we will all we're, all, we're all going through something collectively, and we'll all look back at it, you know, on this time um, that, you know, we're just like in this moment in history that is this time. I mean, I, I'm someone who thinks, I, I, you know, I've always thought that if I can think it, then it won't happen. So I'll think of all the, all the yes. possibilities, all the things that could possibly go wrong. I never thought pandemic. Like, it just wasn't on my mm-hmm. list. It was not no. not on my list of of terrifying things, and now no. we are living through it. And I I think whether it's you know a year from now or a decade from now, um, in terms of just like any kind of perspective on it, we'll look back and have have that feeling of like that that changed us and that mm-hmm. that that brought us together, that pulled us apart, whatever it did, that that changed this city or this country or this industry, um, whatever it is, but. Um, but yeah, I think we do we do wish away whatever's right in front of us, especially especially with little kids. You know that feeling yeah. of like you know just the what's the expression that the the, um, the days are long, the years are short. Yes, yeah. exactly. I mean, yeah, like we we we're, uh, we're joking like we're we're trapped with a terrorist. My my son, my sweet beautiful little boy, has turned into a full blown toddler mm. during quarantine. <laughs> like he is just leaning right into hair pulling and biting and jumping on furniture and trying to dive off of things. And I mean, he was just like this little sweet little cherub. And now I'm like, what has happened to you? (laughs) And it's like, you know, you want to like, okay, go nap, go to bed because I need a break. Mm -hmm. But like, he's never going to be this little bitty thing. And I'm like, you have a big hairy man in your house. I'm sure you would love to just like have that little toddler back, you know? So right. I think there is this balance we have to strike of like acknowledging that like, yes, there are parts of this that really do suck and that are terrible. And there's also the very real part of like people are going to die. And that is also like horrific. But I don't think we have even begun to embrace that, you know, that Mm -hmm. aspect that like we are in this position because there is a really deadly disease, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and and so there's that aspect. And then there's this other aspect of like we have to keep going somehow. And so maybe the way to do that is to lean into those relationships right and Mm -hmm. like to just like devour them Mm -hmm. while we can Mm -hmm. you know and um however schmaltzy that sounds i think and i'm saying it as a glass half empty kind of gal i think that that's where i am trying to put my energy i think that that is a beautiful way to wrap this up With that, thank you. Perfect, <laughs> perfect degree of glass half empty schmaltz. I love it. <laughs> what a wonderful conversation, and um, and I'm going to be listening avidly for uh, season two of Last Day. And um, I love the work you're doing and the meaning that you're making out of out of your life. 
Thank you. I had such a lovely time talking to you today in my closet. It was uh, <laughs> truly like a wonderful way to spend an hour and a half of quarantine. So um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. And thank you for all the great work that you're putting out in the world as well. Thanks. Be well. All right. Bye-bye. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Family Secrets is brought to you by Audible. We live in a noisy, busy world. And lately, I have been really noticing that what I want to do is put on my headphones and I want to listen. Audible is the leading provider of audiobooks and spoken word entertainment in every genre imaginable. You have, at all times, a library at your fingertips. You can listen with the Audible app anytime, anywhere. Get your first three listens free with a 30-day trial. That's one audiobook plus two Audible originals for free. Just visit audible.com slash Danny to get started.